This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we're here to talk about film again with you today. Um, what's happening? Summer no. treating you well? Oh my God, summer. I love summer. Do you? Yeah, I mean, not the weather. I don't yeah. love the weather of summer. I love the the vibe of summer where it's like yeah. very relaxing. And I've been, I've been traveling a lot. Like I, I went uh, to Montreal a couple of weeks ago. I had the best time of my goddamn life. I love that city. Mm-hmm. And um, going to travel again next month. And just, I don't know, it just seems like a good time to get out in the world. This is good news because I swear to God, the last time we talked about summer, you were like, I hate it. I only love winter. I, I only like cozy things, but I feel like because you're having a good summer, you like summer, which is yeah. Totally I like fine. this summer. I like this summer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How are you doing though? You've been doing some some stuff, some summer stuff. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I, I feel like while you were in Montreal, I uh, was in the woods in Western Florida. <laughs> uh, I took my nephews. I I start. I called it. Soft launch camping, <laughs> but I think everybody knows it as glamping, right? It's kind of like camping, but it's there's a little bit um, more uh, creature comfort accoutrement type stuff. Yeah. Did right? you have like the tent with the beds in it and like electricity and stuff? Oh yeah, and honestly, <laughs> probably if it was up to me entirely, probably not my first choice. But I also know that my nephews are eight and five. They've never been camping before. So, you know, I feel like as their aunt, I have to provide them with like an alternate, alternate, you know, experience, really. I have to basically be the outdoorsy, you know, hippie aunt or whatever. So, but so that, because of that, I feel like, I think I might have put a little bit of pressure on the scenario for myself to like give them a good time, right? Millie, I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) really i'm it's like i mean it's like i've never met you i'm shocked that you put any pressure on this situation to be the best time they've ever had in their lives i know i know and i because i just was like i don't know i to me i listen i feel like this probably is very obvious and a lot of people know this about going outside and going outdoors it's it, it presents a lot of um reflection into your life and the mm-hmm. kind of person that you are. Like, that's why all these stupid fucking, like, corporations want their employees to, like, go throw each other over walls in the woods and stuff. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> they give everyone a, uh, one of those Burt Reynolds leather vests from Deliverance. Yes. 
<laughs> they're like, make it fucking happen, Kirk. Like, go out there and do your fucking thing. And Kirk's like, what? I'm an accountant. What are you talking about? Well, it's so funny you say that, too, because my sister, when we were driving home, my sister went as well. And um, she was like, oh, yeah, I went, like, whitewater rafting with my company. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, and I know that that happens a lot. Like, people go on, like, weird kind of, like, weekend trips with their departments and their companies. And I was like, that seems so dangerous by my modern eyes. Like, to go whitewater rafting with your yeah. co-workers? Have you ever seen Whitewater Summer? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I've seen Deliverance. So. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll pick it for a theme. But it is like, whitewater rafting is not l- something you take lightly. And I feel like... From a liability standpoint, it's a weird idea, but also from what you're talking about, which is like the joy of being outside and the mix- the mixture of the, you know, the joy and the the staring into the abyss of being outside is that you get to get in touch with yourself. So being there with like 17 people that you see every day in an office building feels strange. Yeah. And and I just feel like it's it's so it's such a dangerous environment and people would fall out of the boat. Like, she even told me, like, two people f- from her department fell out of the raft. I'd be like, uh, well, I guess they're dead. I'm, I don't know how to save them. I don't know how to go back and get them. Like, is, that, is that how companies are downsizing now? They're like, let's go to the woods. Let's go on a hiking trip. Oops, you fell over the fucking, a fucking cliff. Bye, Janet. <laughs> like, what? If, if only they had taken me on a whitewater rafting trip when I got laid off. <laughs> It would have gone down much easier, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but, so, it was only, like, two nights. And, like I said, it was comfortable. Like, it was yeah. not the type of camping that I've done in the past, which is, like, you have to build a tent and, you know, you're kind of... Now, I've never did true, like, multi-day backpack camping where you, like, hike into the woods and set up, like, a primitive campsite type of thing. I've not, I've only done, like, I've done car camping and then I've done, like, where I've walked, like, a mile into the woods, but I've had, like, a wagon full of my things. Like, it wasn't, like, Cheryl Strayed level type of stuff. (laughs) You're not chucking boots over into the (laughs) fucking cavernous Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like, I've, uh, I haven't had the pressure necessarily of having to take everything I need to survive on my back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But, you know, there was still a lot of drama and a lot of, like, pain points literally sitting in an air-conditioned tent. It was air-conditioned? <laughs> yes. I don't even have air-conditioning in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, how are you having a depressive episode in an air-conditioned tent? <laughs> now, listen, the air, it wasn't like a full air, air conditioner. I mean, it was basically like an air conditioner you would see in the Philippines that has like, <laughs> you know, like it's been there forever. It's like a thing you could buy at Costco and it probably, we all probably have Legionnaire's disease now. Like, who knows? <laughs> but it was like technically- a swamp cooler. <laughs> yes, yes, swamp cooler. It was technically air conditioned, which I got to say, was very comfortable to sleep because yeah. honestly, the, that is one thing about camping that I absolutely fucking hate and makes me just enrages me is being hot when sleeping, like sweating yeah. while sleeping. So it was a very, you know, soft launch. Like they, it wasn't like too rough. It had a little, little bit of the kind of like outdoorsy elements, but there was just things about it that I like starting a, a campfire. Like, 
we're so we're camping in Florida and you know, it's really humid. It rains a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that what happened, and this is based on, you know, the other times that I've gone camping and, and have started fires, I think the wood was wet or like it just wasn't completely dry because right. all of the techniques that I knew from starting fires in the past did not work. And it was right. that kind of thing where the wood was like essentially smoldering. It wasn't burning. The logs mm-hmm. weren't catching and I was using tons and tons of tinder kindling, all that stuff. I made fucking petroleum jelly soaked cotton balls. I mean, I was like prepared as fuck and this was not catching. And, you know, part of the issue with even going glamping is that you don't have like a kitchen. So you got to cook everything yourself. And it was just that thing where it's like not being able to start the fire just set me over the edge, man. You're like, like we're going to starve. We're going to... I bought these babies out here to fucking starve. There was... There was, like, a moment where I was like, God is punishing me because this fire won't light. It, it'll it start for, like, five seconds and then go out, or it will it will burn all the kindling and then, of course, go out because none of the logs are catching. And I was like... Oh my God. Why is God punishing me? He has brought me so much misery this year (laughs) for so many. Like, it was like the avalanche of shit. It was happening in real time. And my nephews were like watching me spin out and they were completely (laughs) flipped. Like, they were just like, whoa. Like, what is wrong with her? They've never seen, they've never met this bitch before. And and this is the other part too. So you know you're like so frustrated and you're and you're trying to get something to work and it doesn't work and you feel like and even though because of course, you know me, I also had like two other methods with me to prepare food. Okay. I had a fucking camp stove, like a burner, a butane burner and a jet boil. So we could have oh cooked my, food. You could have made like a sous vide dinner. My god. <laughs> you're cooking better than most people are eating at home. I know, but I wanted the fire thing. I wanted the campfire because what the fuck? Why go camping if you can't have a fire? And so I was just like, I, and I swear this, this really like, like I'm spiraling out. And it was the kind of thing where like anybody who gave me a suggestion, I just decimated the fuck out of them. Like I just be like, my sister's like, what about trying? And I'd be like, fuck you, get the fuck away from me. Like, leave me alone. And they were all like, we're going home and we're leaving this bitch in the woods. (laughs) She is losing her shit. (laughs) You didn't just flip out. You turned into a dad. (laughs) Maybe not your dad, but you turned into a dad. (laughs) Oh my God. It was rough. And I, you know, of course, of course, like after it was all said and done, after both nights. The second night, we sort of had a fire. I tried it in a different way. Like, I tried, you know, forming the, the campfire in a different way. Still didn't really catch. Ugh. And we we just basically did the thing. We're like, all right, make all the s'mores right now while we have a fire. Because the shit's going out in, like, ten minutes. <laughs> so we managed to actually, like, cook hot dogs and s'mores in the time that we had a fire on the second night. That's great. But, That's the camping yeah. experience you want kids to have. I know. But it would have been nice to have a fire like all throughout the night. We could tell stories and it would have been like so great. Anyway, it was probably the wood. Maybe it was a little bit of me. But I, I was like on the way home. All I did was apologize. 
All Aww. I did was apologize. I was like, guys, I'm really sorry. You saw a really dark side of me back there. And it's it's because of a lot of things. It's that, A, I want to be good at everything. Right. B, I want you guys to have a good time. I love you so much. And I felt responsible for your good time. Aww. And C, I <laughs> have been, you know, considering the idea that I... <laughs> have maybe too much of an independent nature (laughs) and that I've gone past this point where now nobody can tell me anything where I'm just so self-sufficient don't need help type of type of woman that now nobody can even enter into the equation and offer a suggestion Right. And that is something that I'm trying to correct as we speak and have known that I've known that about myself for a long time. And it's something that I talk about in therapy, obviously, but it was that thing of like, when, when you're frustrated and and when you want to do something and you want to please people and you want to please yourself and, and somebody tries to help, you know, it just was like this, like, get the hell away from me thing. And, and I don't need your help. Like, don't, don't try to mom me. Or whatever. And it was awful. Like, I I saw myself in that moment being like, what are you doing? You're, like, yelling at people that you love. Like, you need uh-huh. to, like, you know, apologize and, and, you know, try to figure out what the hell is actually going on beyond this. But you know what I mean. So it's... Yeah. And it sounds like you did figure out what was going on beyond that. And it's not an easy or quick thing to correct. And it's become like a survival instinct, you know? Like if and your and your life and my life if something if we don't do something it doesn't happen. So yes, it's really exactly. hard to let people in to help and I'm like that. I I I mean, I put the absolute pulled the absolute brakes on my brother helping me with any home improvement stuff because the first two times it's like, "Oh my god, you scratched my fucking floor because you wouldn't pick up the table." I told you to pick up the table. You didn't pick it up. And now my floor is scratched. And that's what I get for accepting help. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's not the way. It's just he helped in other ways. I have to recognize what he's good at. I have to recognize what I'm good at. Yeah. And let him try and possibly fail. But like, it's it's a strange position to be in where, like, you're used to doing things on your own. And now you have to give people room to, to try and help or try and fail. And you're like, the whole point is I don't want to fail. <laughs> I don't want to fail. Yeah, I want to be That's good hard. at everything. And it's impossible. It's impossible to be good at everything. And yeah, and, and this is like, again, like, <laughs> this is probably so obvious, but like, that is why, I think that's why people should put themselves in uncomfortable situations, challenge themselves, like, and that's what the outdoors is. It's basically like nature is going to kill you. Like you're powerless Absolutely. against, you know, nature. And you have to feel that once in a while in order to, I don't know, really get yourself or really, you know, understand yeah. who you are. So it was, I just had that moment again where I was just like, wow, dude, shit got really dark this weekend. I don't know how it was just such an innocent glamping trip that turned into this like deep soul search. Um, oh, that, that's look, I haven't been camping in a while. But camping will do that to you. And I used to do that kind of camping where when I lived in Alaska, I would hike in for a couple of days somewhere with a friend and just like we'd have our own food, we'd have our own water, we'd be responsible for all our own shit. And I just remember the first time I had to pack for for one of those trips and I was like, oh, she asked me like, oh, do you have iodine tablets? And I'm like, why? She's like, so that water won't kill you? 
I'm like, oh, we're just going to like fill our bottles from the stream. And she's like, and there will be bacteria in there that could still kill you. (laughs) And I'm like, holy shit. So just like those little things that you have to do just to stay afloat. And then if one thing doesn't work in that scenario, in that framework, it demolishes. It's like a domino effect. It demolishes so much of the intention of the trip. So I I totally understand that. But it's it is good to challenge yourself. And I think it's also a culmination of this year for you where you've been like, up against it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, you're sick of shit not working out. <laughs> so that it's makes true. total sense that like you're, you know. Yeah. No, it's true. And and you're so right about it because that's the thing is that you know, fire is the <laughs> foundation of staying alive like outside. Totally. And the fact that I couldn't get it to work really just it just felt like the entire trip was a wash even though it wasn't in reality. But yeah. it almost felt like, well, I can't provide for myself in that, even in that moment. Like, what if I was like fucking stuck out here and I didn't know how to start a fire and I died? And then I'm the idiot that walked into the woods and <laughs> died because I didn't know how to survive. Like, those are things like, and, and this is, and this is the thing is that I feel like, you know, I, I, I did, I've had a rough year. Definitely, for sure. And, I, you know, I don't know. I just felt like in that moment, everything was just snowballing. Like, yeah. and it sounds so crazy to think about it like that, but it, it really was. And then I felt embarrassed that, you know, my family watched me kind of struggle, you know? And oh, that's I also, something I never fucking want. Because, like, yeah. to your family, you're, like, the one who has it all together. Absolutely. And that was, like, a big <laughs> thing because my sister was the one that was, like, she did, she was like, oh, we have to bring this. She was the one that was like you in that moment in Alaska where like, oh, you have to, you know, purify the water. She didn't really have like a sense of like all the stuff that goes into, you know, camping and hiking and going outside. And I was telling her the entire, you know, the entire time we were planning the trip, like, hey, you need to remember to bring this. So I just was embarrassed. And I was embarrassed that I didn't know how to do it, but I was also embarrassed that they had to see me like flip the fuck out. And I felt in that moment I was being really mean and I I never want to be mean to my family, but yeah. it was like, it's easy to be mean to your family too, which is also really embarrassing to think about because, you know, they're just, part, they're your family. And I take advantage of that sometimes in those situations where I'm just like, well, I can say anything I want to these people and they'll still love me. And I'm like, no, that doesn't, that's not, they're, right. you know, these people have a, a reason to never talk to me again after this weekend. <laughs> and I'm and I'm lucky if they want to. So, well, I don't think it would ever get to that point, but I understand the feeling of that. Yeah. And that's just that's just, you know, you just having to spend some time with yourself and remind yourself and find ways to remind yourself in the moment that like, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this for 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm just walking yeah. away from everybody for 10 minutes. It's not the end of the world. We're going to eat everything. Even if we eat raw hot dogs, it's fucking fine. We're in an air-conditioned tent. What's the? We're not going to die a heat stroke. Like, What's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> Is we eat some cheese sandwiches. And those kids are still going to have a fun. I bet they still had an absolute blast. I, I hope so. Because like later that night, we ended up playing like cards and everybody was having a great old time. Yeah. And I was like, okay, hopefully like things have calmed down and... You know, there was some fighting, not just between me and my sister, but like my nephews were fighting. So there's always like fighting within families on a vacation. But I think everybody's okay. <laughs> we hung out today, so everything should be cool. But um, oh, God. anyway, so 
That that was my while you were in Montreal, I was learning about myself. So look, I learned some things about myself too, but they are not for the common ear. Ooh. <laughs> I learned some some sexy things about myself in Montreal. <laughs> No one can see my face, but I've t- I've turned my head like a dog. Like I was, I, been, I was like, hmm. well, the the main thing I've learned is that wow, maybe I want to have sex again. That was a news to me. <laughs> news to me. I have shut the fucking rolled the boulder in front of the cave on that one. <laughs> now there's like a shaft of light coming through, and I was like, oh, really? Still, we're still doing this in this economy. Love it. I'm pl- I'm proud of you for going, and I think those I think. Again, your nephews are so cute, and they love you so much, and you have done so much to show them a good time and how how you like to live life and how they can live life. And I don't think you are at all dismantling that with one camping trip. I and also, not. thank, like, thank let, you for saying that. Let them see another side of you. Let them see that like people are complex. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> <Yeah>. mean? <laughs> Especially women. Let them learn that women can pop off. I just think of, like, everything you've done with them in terms of, like, especially when you were living in Florida, like, you know, take showing them how to garden and taking them to, like, the park and on field trips and stuff. Like, you just, you've done so much good shit with them, and this is just another layer of it. Like, they're getting older, so they're, you're going to do more stuff with them, that, and some of it's going to be real hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hope, I hope you're right. I, um, I, I just love, I love them so much. I just want to be a good influence on them, and hopefully they haven't. <laughs> Hopefully they haven't been traumatized by this camping trip. <laughs> Listen, I'm at the point where I'm like about to get all the kids in my life over to my house, throw them in the backyard and just be like, good luck. No tent, nothing. Just like figure <laughs> it out for the next week. Oh, it's raining. Figure it out. Like survival wilderness camp in the backyard. And they're like, I thought we were going to be glamping. No, you're going to be cramping or whatever you call it. <laughs> You're going to be bear grillsing it. You're going to have to, like, <laughs> eat spiders and shit. What if I open a bear grills children's adventure park? <laughs> <laughs> then you can have a restaurant in it called the Bear Grills Grill. <laughs> where and it's, we- like, just spiders and worms. and. <laughs> or, look, if it comes, if fate intervenes, maybe we'll cook one of the children. Jesus Christ, we should cut that. I just said <laughs> cook a child. What kind of Lord of the fucking flies shit am I on? <laughs> like, come to my house, survive in the backyard. Maybe we'll cook one of your kids if they break their leg. I don't know. <laughs> the, the information that you provided to me today is, I went on vacation. I want to get late again. Let's cook, children. <laughs> you know I'm always all over the place. I can't help it. <laughs> My brain. I can't just help starts, if those two things are related. My, <laughs> my brain takes a ma- starts running a marathon, and I don't know where the fucking finish line is every week. <laughs> Yo, we love that. <laughs> we love that for you. Well, you know what else I love is our mm. fucking theme this week. Yo, 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 yo. Is this officially the beginning of our like summer blockbuster? extravaganza i think this is the beginning of our we're gonna stop traumatizing you with our dour victorian movies from the winter we're gonna give you something to laugh about we're gonna give you something to think about but not too heavily because you're out there in these woods glamping um yeah this is i think this is it i think this is actually last week was kind of no last week we had midnight express i'm gonna cut all of that (laughs) (laughs) 
We talked about you know, Islamophobia last week. So, <laughs> but this week, next week, for my, for, I think for the rest of the summer, we've got pretty great, light, fun shows. Yeah, I think that like over the years, we made the executive decision to start having a little fun in the summertime. That is that idea is what you know, basically birth the, like, Dante's Peak, Joe versus the Volcano episode. Like, we just want to get fun. Summer's a fun time. I mean, we've talked about so many fun summer topics and so many fun summer movies. And so this week, we wanted to kind of kick that off again with two super fun films that I hope Daniel will, uh, you know, talk about in terms of the theme. So what's the theme? Yeah, so our theme this week is... Honestly, we probably deserve this. And we're focusing on (laughs) alien comedies or comedies where aliens fall to the earth. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. These two movies, I I honestly haven't had this much fun watching two movies in a long time. Same. Uh, First watch for me for your film. Oh my God. And I was literally like texting you going, is this my favorite movie now? I, I don't know. Love that. So, you're like, goodbye, Jean Delmon. Hello, <laughs> alien drop to Earth. <laughs> Rocketing uh, yeah, I, up the list. <laughs> I totally, I, like, I remember when this movie came out. I feel like I might have gotten it confused with another movie. And I don't know why that happened. But I, so first time watch, and I loved it. I thought it was so fun, <sighs> uh, so interesting. Like, I just thought it was really fresh, cool. Again, extremely late to the party, but at least I'm at the party. That is so. I'm so glad you're at the party. I would. I would say that this is. It's possibly a top ten, maybe even a top five for me. Ooh, that can, that tracks. That I tracks. cannot imagine like never watching this movie again, like Desert Island style. Yeah. So I am just excited to bring it to the folks, and I haven't seen your movie since I was like a kid, and it well, was so good. Yeah. Oh my God. So this this was kind of like a thing that I think you and I had been we've been wanting to talk about my movie for forever. Because uh, I remember bringing it up once, and I was like, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. And you're like, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. And we were both like, Huh? Wonder if we should do it for an episode. So we finally got around to it, and uh, I, it was also it was just so fun. I just like I'm so excited about these two. You're going first, I believe. I am indeed. Let's get right into it because my film was released in 2011. Uh, It was written and directed by Joe Cornish. My movie for the theme of, honestly, we probably deserve this, is Attack the Block. What is that, cuz? That's an alien, bruv. Believe it. I landed in the wrong place, though. You get the wrong place. (laughs) Welcome to London, motherfucker. (laughs) One thing that's to know, first and foremost, is that this was, I think, it was definitely my first introduction to John Boyega, who's one of the stars of the film. And I believe it's one of, if not his first film. Yeah. So he'd done a couple of TV shows in the UK, but I think this was his first film. His first two films were released in the same year, so I'm just not sure which came first. Mm. But from the minute I saw him, especially in this film, the whole cast is incredible. But I saw him and I'm like, I don't know who this kid is, but he is fucking incredible. (laughs) He is an incredible actor. He's doing drama. He's doing comedy. He's doing action. This movie has it all. And John Boyega gave it to us. And Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed the film, was actually a comedian. 
He had a comedy partner for a long time, Adam Buxton, in the UK, but he's also a a writer, and this was his directorial debut. Um, But he went on to co-write things like The Adventures of Tintin, um, Ant-Man. Like, he's he's had a bigger career since this film. This really kicked off some stuff for him. Um, But he's always been a comedian, screenwriter, and now he's, you know, director directing and producing. So he also works closely with Simon Pegg and, you know, Edgar Wright and Nick Frost and kind of their production companies. And, you know, he's he's a part of that big talk pictures, like, you know, that whole group of guys that came up in comedy together around the same time in in London. So yeah, he's it's it's really a to me a stunning debut. <laughs> I think that if this is going to be anyone's first anyone's first movie that if they can come out like this i'm thrilled yeah i'm thrilled i loved oh, it oh man i that's so it's so funny that you mentioned edgar wright too because you know the them working together that's kind of how i felt about like when i first watched space mm-hmm. at that edgar wright show like i guess was that his first show yeah. he had not made a movie before that it felt like he like, I feel like Joe Cornish with this movie felt like when I watched Space for the first time being like, oh, here's like a young person who directed something and it's fully formed. Like, these are right. like fully formed ideas. They It almost seems like they just sort of know what they're doing immediately. They have mm-hmm. a ton of, like, talent and references and stuff. And it just was like, that's how I felt when I watched this movie, which I was like, this, I can't believe it's his first movie. It's just so, yeah. like, good. It was really good. And sometimes I think it takes, I think part of the reason that a lot of first films that kind of stand out in this way, I think the reason that they're able to do that is because they've been able to write or produce the film without any, without any notes, without any interaction. Like they were able to work on the idea before any studios or like anyone got a hold of it and tried to make it something else. So when you're young and ambitious and you kind of think, well, this is the idea, like this is it entirely, you have time to make it good before you start taking out into the world. And then once you do, now either you become a trope or they expect you to kind of live within certain guidelines. Like the thing that makes you fresh and new and interesting eventually gets worn down, unfortunately. Um, So I kind of love this too, where it just feels like something that a bunch of, like he and a bunch of friends are probably sitting around talking about and joking about, and he turned it into a fucking dope-ass movie. Yeah. That's impressive for sure. Well, I'm going to give you a one-sentence synopsis. Uh, My one-sentence synopsis is that a nurse, a gang of teenagers, a drug dealer, a drug user, and two jumped-up little kids have the worst night of their fucking lives and have to band together to protect their council flat and fight a grip of glowy-mouthed aliens who drop to Earth on Guy Fawkes night. Wow. Amazing. Which is the long and short of it. So I'll set it up first by letting you know who the principals are in the movie, because the, one of the interesting things to me about this movie to me is that it kind of ebbs and flows in between characters and the way that their stories intersect throughout the film is incredibly thoughtful and funny. And this could also be um, uh, happened in one night movie because it's all set in one night and yeah. kind of seeing the the pace of the film feels really good when you're watching, you know, sometimes you're just focused on one or two characters. Sometimes it's all of them. Sometimes, you know, not all the characters get along. It's just, it's a really interesting way to kind of approach an ensemble cast where everyone is fucking amazing. Like every actor is incredible. So we have the teens, the teen gang is uh, (laughs) Pest, a guy named Pest. We all knew him. 
<laughs> we all knew one. Um, Dennis, <laughs> Jerome, Biggs, and Moses. And Big spends most of the movie trapped in a bin, which we'll get to in a minute. And Moses is kind of the leader of the group, and that's the John Boyega character. Um, we also have Sam, played by Jodie Whittaker. You probably know her from Broadchurch, um, or as the first female Doctor Who, amongst many, <laughs> many other incredible roles. She's such a fucking great actress. Uh, and she, she plays Sam, who's a nurse who lives in Wyndham Tower. And Wyndham Tower is what everyone refers to as the block and it's in south london and it's a bunch of council flats if you're a u.s listener you probably know this style of building as a project um but it's just a group of apartments a group of people who are living in you know very close quarters all in one building there's like hundreds of apartments in one building or two buildings and it makes up a whole whole area of town uh we also have reginald and gavin um, but they prefer to go by Probs and Mayhem. And they are two little kids who are just, they just, they just want to be part of the gang. <laughs> they're just friends who want to be part of the gang, but they're little kids. And these are all teenagers. And I love that dynamic of like the annoying little brother or the annoying kid in the neighborhood who just wants to be part of what you're doing. Um, and they won't let him. <laughs> they won't let them. And they they won't even call them by their the nicknames that they've clearly made up for themselves, Probs and Mayhem, which I think if I ever get future pets, I am naming them Probs and Mayhem. Oh, you have to. Hello. So funny. <laughs> These little kids, they don't appear, they appear sporadically, but they are hilarious on screen whenever they do. And we also have Ron, who's played by Nick Frost. Again, you'll probably recognize him from several Simon Pegg films. And he works for High Hats, who's the drug dealer on the block. And he's also a fledgling rapper. So Hi-Hat plays his own song repeatedly throughout the movie. And he hears <laughs> just a sample of the lyrics from Hi-Hats. And it's not singular. It's not Hi-Hat. It's Hi-Hats with a Z. Uh, his lyrics are, I'm so cold, I shit snow and piss ice. Mm. Just, you know, <laughs> waiting to, to, to snatch that rap crap. <laughs> <laughs> And we also have a guy named Bruis, uh, Bruis, B-R-E-W-I-S. And he is just coming to buy drugs, but he's kind of this like entitled kid who's just coming to this area to buy some pot. And my favorite might be Tia and Dimples. Uh, They're part of this group of girls who would be the love interest, I think, in a lesser film. But in this film, they have their own like hilarious, badass arc. Um, yeah. So I love that they weren't kind of folded into the background as, you know, the love interest or the flirt interest or whatever. Even the way that the guys talk about them when they're not there, like he'll like, you know, all the, the kids, the, the teens will say things like, oh, my God, you think they're we're going to be safe there? Have you seen those girls fight or like, have you seen them talk to each other? It's kind of great that they have some autonomy in this film. So. That's who we're dealing with as the main principal cast. And the way that they all intersect is that, again, it's Guy Fox night, so it's November, and fireworks are going off. And Moses and company, the first thing we see them doing is mugging poor Sam. So they snatch her ring, they snatch her purse, they snatch her phone. Um, she's completely shaken up. And almost immediately after they mug her, while she's kind of on the ground, a boulder crashes to the earth and lands on a car, like demolishes a car. And an alien pops out of this boulder and just scratches the shit out of Moses's face. So Sam's able to get away. And then they go from chasing this woman to chasing this alien, which is such a teen boy thing to do. 
Like, <laughs> let's go chase it and kill it. Um, yeah. So, again, hilarious script, funny lines. At one point, um, I think it's Pest who says, it's raining monkeys. Like, <laughs> they yeah. don't know what the hell it is, but they're going after it. And they trap it in a shed, this alien. And then they just shoot fireworks at it and kill it. <laughs> and then they just start dragging it around town. <laughs> Like, it's just, they're just dragging it around the street. Like, it's, I don't know, some kind of wolf they've just murdered or something. They just drag it around. Um, oh, yeah. And they sh- they they use it to show off to the girls. Like, they're showing off the Tia and Dimples, and they're like, we are not having this shit. Um, but it's just kind of funny the way they're scaring people and kind of, like, it's their, like, they're proud. They're proud of having killed this thing. Oh, but yeah. then we meet Bruis, who's on his way to buy weed from Ron, um, because the kids want to leave the alien in the weed room in Hi-Hat's <laughs> apartment for safety. Because yeah. they think this thing is going to be worth money. And they think that the weed room is the safest place in the block. So Ron, when we first meet the Nick Frost character, Ron's looking at this alien kind of hanging up in a shower. And he goes, I don't know, maybe there was a party at the zoo and a monkey fucked a fish. Like, <laughs> nobody <laughs> knows what this thing is. They decide it's okay to leave it in the weed room. Hi-Hats relents and says you can leave it in the weed room, but he wants to hire Moses to be part of his crew and sell drugs as a kind of a trade-off. So Moses sees it as like a big deal. Like he's been kind of, he's been leveled up. And so he gives him some weed and tells him to sell it. And he's like, you know, this is my block and blah, blah, blah. Kind of pulls his macho bullshit. And so as they're discussing this, we suddenly see about 25 more boulders (laughs) dropping to the earth. Mm. And the kids are like, it's raining golems. Those things are fucking pure coming down out there. <laughs> yeah. And they all grab weapons. So I like how this is like the thing that I thought was really kind of cool about the movie is that they don't, there isn't like a lot of explanation mm-hmm. as to what is actually happening, like what these things are. You know, right. like I think you, I think you're right in a lesser movie, you might have had like, a cut to like a a TV reporter being like, we've now found out that these things are from this. And then there were, you know, gives sort of the backstory as to like what is being dropped. Exactly. But I I liked the idea that they didn't know what it was. And there was a moment too where I thought, are they the only kids who are seeing this? Yes. You know, so there was that kind of question for me as well which i thought was really really cool yeah like are they even the only people in south london or all of london who are seeing this because there's fireworks going off all over the place it would be really easy to explain away as something that was part of a show um or somebody was shooting off fireworks and i like that they left it ambiguous because even when it comes to like you see the alien right away um but you still don't know what they are what they're capable of and i right. i really like that feeling i think it puts you right in the mix of what the kids are feeling cuz most yeah. kids don't know what's going on anyway in the world <laughs> like they just exactly so the fact that they could even make that logical leap to it's an alien invasion um right. while watching these other things fall to the earth is pretty spectacular but they don't have to go more in depth than that to know that we got to take action we've seen this in fucking video games and tv shows and movies we know what this is. So it's kind of yes. cool that they have that modern approach as well. Like they don't yeah. need more convincing. And it's hilarious when they all start fucking, they all go to their own apartments and start grabbing weapons. And I'm talking like they're grabbing more fireworks, they're grabbing bats, chains. Someone grabs a katana. 
<laughs> and then, but then I think it's it's Dennis grabs his dog Pogo, who's a cutest little dog. Um, his dad's like, take the fucking dog out, and it's kind of cute to see them all in their apartments because again, there's not a lot of overwhelming exposition, but you get to see how these kids live and who they live with. So some of them are living with grandparents, some of them are living, you know, with a traditional family unit, or they have siblings, or you just kind of get a glimpse of what their lives are without getting too overwhelmed by the backstory. And what I also love about that moment is you see Moses go into his apartment, but you don't follow him in there. So you know there's something going on with the way Moses lives. And it is explained later. And it is one of those moments that just breaks my fucking heart and makes me cry, like makes me tear up. And every goddamn action movie or sci-fi movie I watch, there's always a moment where I'm breaking down because of the human condition. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love that the way that that scene is shot because it's so mysterious. And you think at first, when I first saw this movie, I've seen it so many times, but when I first saw this movie, the way that it's shot gives you the feeling that something sinister is happening, that maybe Moses is more dangerous than we all thought. Um, So when the actual reveal happens, it's really incredible. Yeah, because that's, that's, I think, a a big component to the film is that I mean, first of all, I love the fact that they're teenagers. Like, I thought that was, like, a huge part of it for me. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, if I would have seen this as a teenager. Like, if this movie, it wasn't around when I was a teenager. But if I if I was a teenager seeing this, I would be obsessed. I would be obsessed with these, these kids and this world. It kind of has a Goonies vibe to it. Like, yes. it's got that, like, they're very crewed up. But it's that thing where they're also, like, kind of hardened, right? They yeah. obviously commit crimes they kind of have their own kind of language and it's very you know they're very streetwise and a lot of that is like you're wondering how do they get that way and you obviously know part of it is that it's their economic status but then yeah with Moses in particular you're like he's the leader he's the most stoic Mm -hmm. there's something going on and you don't know what that is and so when that part happens you're like oh okay yeah that's confirmed and the the fact that this is also that it's teenagers, but that it's also taking place in council flats, like in this block, is a is a commentary on the class system and like who's believed yeah. and who's not believed and who's totally. you know who's fodder for the mill or not. So it's kind of cool that they put these these kind of low income kids essentially in a place yep. where they have to do something grandiose. So yep. they are just. Absolutely hilarious. And they all hop on. One kid has a bike, but the rest of them all have these little scooters. And they're like, we're going to find every single one of those things that just dropped to the earth because, you know, now it's like a game for them. And they think it's a game because the first alien they encountered, they killed. (laughs) So they're like, let's just go do more of that shit. And the more we get, the more money it is. It's like fucking Pokemon got to catch them all. And then we'll be rich. Because, again, from a class structure and a a child's mind structure, that's – the, the highest hope for them. And that's why they tend to, you know, that's why these kids in, in this film kind of idolize this drug dealer because they want some kind of status or something that makes them feel better about their situation and kind right. of can lift them out of their situation. So they take off to find these aliens. They find one boulder and it's cracked open and they're like, oh shit, these are three times the size of the one that we saw fall in that car. <laughs> and then suddenly Pogo takes off the dog gets killed, I'm sorry to say. We don't see it, oh. but we hear it. And they start to see what these aliens are. And they're kind of they're kind of plain when you think about it. They're these black, sort of hairy, big 
they're just kind of big forms and they walk on all fours or they run on all fours and they have no eyes and they're completely black except for their mouths, which have like three rows of teeth and are glowing green, Mm. which is like so scary. But also, again, it seems like one of those child's drawings of a monster come come to life from a kindergarten page. So it's very cool. And they're just like, fuck this. And they take off and... You know, Sam is at the same moment trying to find these kids with the cops because she's been convinced that she should call the cops and report the mugging. And the van passes them as they're running from the aliens. So this movie is essentially, it's kind of made up of what I think are four or five just great chase scenes. This is one of them where the kids are all splitting up and they're trying to get away from the cops and Moses gets caught. Um, The cops are trying to put him in the back of the van And Sam moves from the back to the front of the van. And while she's sitting in the front, she looks in the rearview mirror and she sees one of the aliens. She doesn't know what she's looking at. But then the cops get killed because they're in the back trying to put, you know, they've locked, they've handcuffed Moses, locked him up, put him in the back. And then they get killed. So all hell is breaking loose. One of the kids comes to save Moses. They steal the van. Sam is in it. And she, they're like, you're a fucking snitch. And they're all pissed at her. And then they crash the van into Hi-Hat's car. Mm. And let me tell you <laughs> that Hi-Hat's is fucking mad. Because by this point, the cops have also taken the weed and they arrested Moses with weed and weapons on him. He had the weapons to kill the alien and the weed to sell for, for Hi-Hat's. Um, so he was he was going to go down for some intense crimes. Like it would not have been like a teen charge. But Hi-Hats doesn't give a shit. He's And they're, like, trying to tell him there's aliens. Um, one of them drops behind the car, and he makes his lackey kind of go and check it out. And mm-hmm. one of the aliens just rips his throat out. So there's also, like, a very nice balance of gore in this film where I feel like they use it sparingly. But when you do see it, it's to emphasize how dangerous these beings are. Right. So I love that. And just that whole scene is so funny and you know, they kind of get the handcuffs off, but but now they're in it. Like, they are, the aliens are chasing them. The cops are <laughs> looking for them. Hi-Hat wants, Hi-Hats wants to kill them uh, for getting caught and just fucking up in general. Everyone is after these kids, and these kids are purely after the alien. So their plan is to get back to the block where they can hunker down and make shit happen. Bruis is a really funny, he's like a very comic relief character in the film one of the first moments with him that's so funny is you see him on the phone with his dad and he's like yeah yeah i'm gonna bring the car back in a second and then as he's walking down the street he realizes like you realize that the boulder that fell was on his car so he just goes back to ron's to smoke some weed he's like i don't know what the fuck i should do but that's kind of how he gets caught up in this and it's just great chase after great chase and then you know they, they as they're trying to get back to the block this is where we lose bigs because uh, he splits off and gets trapped in a garbage bin for most of the movie. <laughs> and they kind of mm-hmm. communicate with him by phone. But, you know, this the rest of the movie is taking place in, you know, the Wyndham Tower is taking place in the block. And it's them trying to outwit these aliens and convince everyone else that the aliens are real and that they're ha- that this is actually happening. So, you know, it's just really beautiful the way I think especially they weave Sam into the story because she's pissed at them. She's like, you fucking mugged me earlier, but then they need her because some of, one of them gets injured. But like, it's just really interesting to see how these disparate groups of people start to come together, realize that there's something intense happening and decide 
the only way to fight it is to fight it together. And I, yeah. I will not spoil the movie at all, but one of my absolute favorite scenes from any film is one of the last chase scenes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I, so I, as everybody knows, I am, I don't dabble in the Star Wars universe <laughs> at all. But I had heard about John Boyega because of his kind of activism and, you know, his, you know, during, you know, the whole like Black Lives Matter thing when he was out, you know, talking about it. But I knew, and I knew he was affiliated with Star Wars, but I obviously hadn't seen it. Yeah. So yeah, this was the first time I'd really seen him act in anything. And now I was like, do I want to watch a Star Wars thing? That's how yes! much I liked him. Let That's me... how great he was in Isn't this he? movie. He is great. And I'll also say, if it entices you even a little bit more, one of the Star Wars movies that he's in also stars Donald Gleason. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can knock all these people out in one, one sitting. <laughs> is Mads Michelson in that movie too? Like, come on. <laughs> Pedro Pascal is Pedro Pascal in it? He's in. He becomes part of the universe later. He's in the Mandalorian, but that's oh not part of the goodness. movies. But yeah, they basically, eventually, they acquire every hot dude, and they're like, "Why don't you be in a Star Wars?" And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> I know. They t they tempted all these guys. Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, I I I you know okay like yeah I think maybe <laughs> I'm gonna have to really have a, a chat with myself about whether or not I want to go down this road for real. But I, I was like I was like man I should watch these Star Wars things. He's so good. That's how and, good John um, Boyega is. He made yeah. you consider Star Wars. I know. That's you gotta be pretty good for that, to be honest. And you, and sir, we salute you for that. But I uh I really loved this movie. I thought it was super entertaining. I loved the kind of kids, like and they also, by the way, call me by your bros. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> like I loved them calling each other fam and blood and bro. Oh like, are you kidding me? That was so fun. Like, oh god, the, but just know. their whole, all of the language in the film. Because again, like Joe Cornish is a white dude, not for nothing. But like, yeah. you kind of get, I kind of get nervous when I see like, oh, a white guy wrote about all these like poor kids living in a flat in a council flat. Sure, a little nerd. But he got, he fucking nailed it. It sounded like he just like hung out with kids for a year and just like nailed the fucking language. Well, I was reading about how did didn't that actually happen? Like didn't he basically like hang out with a bunch of kids and was like, "Hey, what would happen if you guys had to fight aliens? Like what right. would you do?" And they kind of were like told him what would happen. So like, I'd I grab like a he... chain and I'd whip him in the fucking face, bro. <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of being young and being in those kind of groups with like girls and guys, the guys are off doing some kind of like weird clandestine guy stuff with their, you know, mopeds and their bikes and their baseball bats. And you're just kind of like, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. You know? And they're like, we're on a mission. <laughs> you know, it just felt very like kid stuff in a weird way, even though obviously they're doing things uh, that are saving the human race, essentially. Right. But I loved it. I loved the energy of it. It was just such an exciting movie. I hadn't seen something like that in a, a long time. I just really, really appreciated it. And Aww. I gotta say, like, I was like, this is such a fun fucking movie. This this is still, like my favorite movie of this year, even though it came out like 12 <laughs> years ago. 
How is that possible? I am so glad you feel that way. And it's, it truly is very, like every time I watch it, I'm just kind of, I see a different layer to it. And I, I love what you were just talking about in terms of like, you're just watching them be kids because there's an element of danger in their lives, but it's kind of reactionary for them to be the way they are. And it's nice to see them still being like dumb kids in so many ways, because you can tell that their life is pushing them in a way where they're not going to be able to be kids for much longer. So it's so beautiful and so funny. It's kind of the perfect like mix of sci-fi and humor and yeah. if you just want to laugh, if you just want to hang out and just like, I'm sure if any of you smoke pot, this would be, seems like a great movie to watch when you just like want to laugh and hang out on the couch with your friends. Um, but it's also a great summer movie because it's got so much action and it's it, it's just it's just great. It is one of my favorites. From the minute I saw it, I was just obsessed. Um, yeah. I yeah. Love and it. also, if it's if it's winter time and you want to get deep. There's deep elements to the film. It talks about class and race. Yeah. So there you go. Watch it's it four great. times. Watch it four times. Watch it at once a season. <laughs> once a season. <laughs> See how you feel about it. But yeah, John Boyega just blew me away in this movie and could not get over how just also how captivating he is. Like it's just and it's such a great cast. And again, Jodie Whittaker, like you've seen her do everything. She can do humor, she can do sci-fi, she can do intense drama and she's just so incredible to watch but like Alex Esmail and Leon Dro- Jones and Fran Dramay and Simon Howard like they're all just fucking great actors like to get this kind of shit out of kids is hard yeah. <laughs> it's hard so I'm glad you liked it I'm glad you got to see it because yeah. I can't, I think it's right up your alley yeah that's again I always say that about this podcast you make me watch stuff that I I guess I I just kind of fell off my radar, and I'm just so thankful for you again. And you make me watch things that I hadn't seen in ages, <laughs> and I love it. Okay, I gotta be honest. Well, let me let's just introduce my film right up top. So, my movie for the theme, honestly, we deserve this. Is a movie from 1988. It was directed by Julian Temple, written by Julie Brown, Charlie Coffey, and Terrence McNally. And it's called Earth Girls Are Easy. We can't go out with these guys. They're aliens. They can still be dates. So do you remember when we were talking about possibly doing this movie and we were like, here's a movie from our youth. Will it hold up in 2023? (laughs) Question mark? And I have to say, I am relieved. (laughs) I don't know if you felt that way. I don't know. I was relieved. Don't worry. There's still a lot of like weird misogyny and like 80s shit in here, but it definitely holds up. It's it is horny as can be, but we'll we'll get into it. (laughs) But so I don't know about you. I I have seen this movie so many times on cable as a child. It's kind of impossible to calculate how many times I actually have watched it. I'm pretty sure I watched it for the first time on Comedy Central in middle school. (laughs) Because for me, Earth Girls Are Easy is like one one of these like early days of Comedy Central movies alongside stuff like Fatal Instinct starring Armand Asante. (laughs) And... uh, Ah! Dracula dead and loving it. <laughs> you remember, like, oh my god, which I 
I'm going to say this now. I insist that we do an episode on Dracula Ted loving it. Oh, my God. <laughs> why the fuck not at this point? Why the fuck not? <laughs> Hall- Halloween's coming up. Halloween's coming up. We we will try to slide it in there for Halloween. Okay. But I think when I was a kid, I like honed in on this movie because of Julie Brown. Yep. Who not only stars in the movie as a character named Candy Pink... She is the uh, best friend of the Gina Davis character. But she co-wrote the movie with her husband at the time, Terrence McNally, and then one of her longtime collaborators, Charlie Coffey, right? And when this movie came out, it was essentially conceived as a vehicle for Julie Brown's music career, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people remember her music career, but she she was kind of like a novelty act where she was kind of playing this Valley Girl character and she was making comedy songs. And it was kind of like a Weird Al, Judy Tenuta adjacent Mm -hmm. thing, right? Absolutely. Which felt very in vogue when we were kids. Yeah, well, it was was very, it was a product, I think, of MTV and, you know, them kind of using comedic figures and comedic songs to round out their their repertoire and you know they, they were having shows that they were having these people host or co-host and you know the 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 kind of colorful zany wackiness of it found a home there for a while yeah and i think that was a lot of like early cable and early tv too because it almost felt like these were all people who were like in the groundlings in la and then they mm-hmm. got tv shows like it right. was kind of like this whole universe of like Pee Wee Herman, Elvira, like, and honestly, like, I remember hearing Julie Brown's songs for the first time on the Dr. Demento radio show, which I used to listen to on cassette (laughs) at my next door neighbor Daniel's house. Like, he, he brought the Dr. Demento tapes and we would listen to them in his garage. Where where is that bio, biopic? Where's that biopic? <laughs> I'm sure there's been a documentary or two, but where is that updated, like, gritty biopic yeah. about Dr. Demento? We need Eric Wareheim to play, <laughs> like, a Scorsese-esque version of Dr. Demento. <laughs> he goes home and he takes off his hat and glasses and... You find out his beard is fake and like he's like sadly singing the fish head song while he's taking off all of his like fake clothes and fake beard. Yeah, he's doing like hot rails and it's just like <laughs> What is my life? What is meaning? Oh my god. We've darked oh out Dr. Demento somehow. <laughs> You're absolutely right about MTV because Julie Brown had a, a TV show on MTV named Just Say Julie. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was very, I watched it all the time. It was very Pee Wee Herman adjacent because there was like wacky sets and costumes and guests would appear. And it'd be like famous musicians, but they would play characters within this world that she created. And then they would play her music videos. Uh, like they would play the video for, Cause I'm a blonde, which actually does appear in Earth Girls Are Easy. Yes. And they played the video for my my personal favorite, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. <laughs> and I used to, I swear to God, I remember like going around my house, like singing both of those songs. 
like I would sing Julie, Julie Brown songs at my parents' house. And oh, God. I just thought it was the height of comedy. Like, I just thought all of this was so fucking funny. And just so you know, just so we don't get emails about this, because you know we're going to get emails about this. Yes, there were two Julie Browns on MTV at the same time. Okay. There was Miss Julie Brown, who is who I'm talking about right now. And then there was Downtown Julie Brown, who was British and Black and hosted Club MTV. Wubba, 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 goodbye and God bless. That was, that was the other Julie Brown. Wubba, <laughs> We grew up in the fucking weirdest timeline. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, just imagine people in spandex crop tops and bike shorts dancing for an hour with their fucking teased out hair and then someone gets on on fucking mic and just says wubba 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 goodbye god bless and it was totally nobody questioned it for like 40 (laughs) fucking years nobody questioned it i mean i i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie i loved growing up in this era i know they got they got no wubba 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 and for shame because it was great it was a great time to be alive, oh, I gotta God. say. Truly. I, oh, also, too, I have to say about Julie Brown, because I'm, I'm kind of a fangirl, as you can imagine. She used to imitate Madonna all the time, yes. whom I also loved, right? <laughs> and, she, and, and for the record, sw- I swear to God, I tried very hard to program Medusa, Dare to be Truthful, on TCM Underground, but I could, ah! not fi- I could not figure out who owned the TV rights to it. So... I just want you all to know that I tried really hard to make that happen. Exactly. Yeah, it is. And that is one of those things where it's like it was very much a very spoof heavy era. Yes. (laughs) Very spoof heavy. But I, yeah, very spoof heavy, which to my like 11 and 12 year old brain, I thought that was like true comedy. Like I just loved all this shit. Loved it all. So I'm going to do a one sentence synopsis of Earth Girls Are Easy. Aliens crash land into the swimming pool of a recently single woman and learn about human culture via the San Fernando Valley in the 1980s. Okay. So we got a lot of meat on this bone. We got to hit it right now. So the two main stars of of Earth Girls Are Easy, I think we know who they are. They're the tall, hot, married legends themselves, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. They had just come off of David Cronenberg's The Fly. We have an episode about that. Please listen to it. But they actually had met on the set of Transylvania 6-5000. And I'm just saying that this is a Criterion Collection box set that I need right now. (laughs) I need the, like, Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis were married three-movie box set. Obviously. Oh God! Please direct put that directly in my veins. <laughs> Can we get Transylvania six five thousand on four K Blu Ray? <laughs> I would appreciate that. From what I remember of that movie, I feel like there would be riots in the street if they did. <laughs> like, look, we put up a lot. Put up with a lot from you fuckers. <laughs> this is where we draw the line. Yeah, I, I. I have not seen that movie since it came out. And I... Guess what? No one has. I know. <laughs> so, but I have to say, I mean, just like The Fly, or maybe just like the first half of The Fly, 
Earth Girls Are Easy is essentially just another vehicle to showcase how hot Jeff Goldblum was at this time in our history. Although, I must say, Gina Davis is actually the number one hottie of this film. For real. Like, there's at one point in this movie where she's wearing a very skimpy bikini that is it's red, but it's essentially also see-through. And I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I can't believe it. Like, you can see everything for the most part. The 80s. I know. So like, like, it kind of is covering. Okay. And sort plus, of. they're doing that valley girl thing where it's like, all we do is hang out by the pool and do our nails. And who cares if we're wearing clothes, kind of. I know. I have to say, if I look like her at any point in my life, I would always wear see-through clothes. Oh, completely. Just, just put it out there. She looked... I mean, she's incredibly hot in this movie. And it's also made funnier to me like the, by the fact that she's, like, a genius. Literally. She's, a, yes. like, a Mensa member-level genius. And she's like, I will also... Do, I can do it all. I will wear a see-through bikini. I will shoot some fucking arrows at an Olympian level. And I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> Beauty and brains. But... So, here's the other thing I didn't know as a kid, right? So, the director of this movie is Julian Temple. And I know him now. But at the time, I obviously didn't. And if you don't know him, he pretty much directed every amazing, cool music video in the 1980s. Like, he did so many music videos. He directed, like, a ton of Depeche Mode videos. And he also did this movie called Absolute Beginners, which, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's David Bowie's in it. It's, It's really great. And... If you have seen Absolute Beginners, you will kind of feel like Earth Girls are easy as sort of similar. Because it's basically just kind of this big fantasy musical. Both those movies are. So when I found out, like, later in life, I was like, oh, yeah, Julian Temple made Earth Girls are easy. I was like, oh, it makes sense because he made Absolute Beginners. So there you go. So in terms of this cast, though, besides the, like, Gina and Jeff connection, you have these comedy fucking superstars. And I'm talking about Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans. And this is very early in their career. This is pre in Living Color. And I swear to God, I thought they were so fucking funny in this movie. That I, 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 the fact that they had careers after this movie is only purely additional. Like, I was like, this is it for me. This is the funniest movie I've ever seen by either two of these men. Like, ever. Oh, God. And there, you can see in the, like, the, the, the kind of burgeoning comedic styles for both of them. That yes. both of them would become famous for in this film. Uh, but it is just so weird. Like you could see Jim Carrey being like over emphatic with his facial movements and, you know, Damon Wayans being like super bodily, like dancing. It, it, you could just see what it be, what it be, what it's going to become. And it's really right. funny. Like I, you know, I had a very simple brain when I was 11 and 12. And I just, the fact that they were just imitating everything that they saw on TV and they were just kind of like bumbling around being horny aliens. I was like, they're the funniest people of all time. And like, the best part is that anytime they would scream when Gina Davis screamed, I oh god laughed so hard, even today. Like, even oh, yeah. in this modern era. 100%. <laughs> or when they, they imitate the Valley Girl accent, like when they're in the oh, car yeah. driving and Jim Carrey jumps <laughs> into the other car and he's like, can we go to a party in the Valley? <laughs> <laughs> That shit fucking cracks me up. Oh, my God. But so speaking of the horniness, I mean, like, look, this movie is pretty horny, as you can imagine. 
But I will say, I don't think it's as horny as I thought it was going to be from modern eyes. Like, I, yeah, ju- it, you know, it's horny, but it's not horribly horny. Well, no, because they kind of take care of all the horniness in like big scenes. Yes. Additionally, I think maybe because this movie was co written by a woman. I feel like it's cool that the alien babe characters are guys. Yeah. And they are, they really hone in on Jeff Goldblum, by the way. He is, like, pretty much a piece of meat in this film. <laughs> like, which, on some level, I appreciate that, right? I'm like, you know. like, <laughs> But but the guys, are their guys are getting... I mean, there's, like, that whole scene where they're at the nightclub, which is actually the Griffith Observatory. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, all these women are, like, you know, wanting to go home with the Jim Carrey alien because he's got this, like, five-inch tongue. And I'm like... I did not remember that part. (laughs) That was one of those things that I probably saw as a kid and was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, the fact that there's, like, an extended cunnilingus joke is, I mean, I just appreciate that. Like, I'm like, okay, it's horny, but at least it's not, like, you know, one-sided horniness. You know, like, everybody is, is horny in this film. Men, women... Whatever. Women have autonomy to be horny in this mo- in this movie. A- absolutely. So, the basic gist of this film is that Gina Davis is a woman named Val, and she's a nail technician in the Valley, and she's about to get married to this philandering doctor who is played by Charles Rocket. She- so, Val busts in on him, about to cheat on her one night, and then she kind of, you know, freaks out, <laughs> kicks him out of the house. And if that wasn't bad enough, the next day she's... Grief sunbathing, which I am now going to try. <laughs> um, and an alien spacecraft crashes into her fucking swimming pool, right? Oh, God. And out come these three aliens who are very colorful and very hairy. And they're played by, like I said, Jim Carrey, Damon Wayans, and their their commander, who is Jeff Goldblum. So, you know, after after the initial shock of her screaming and them, them like making fun of her screaming, which I thought was so fucking funny as an 11-year-old. Val takes them to to Candy, who is the Julie Brown character, and basically is like, what do we do? I mean, these guys are aliens. We can't just, like, traipse them around the valley. You've got to give them a makeover. <laughs> They're just covered in, like, very colorful <laughs> um, <laughs> fur. Like, tie-dye yes. fur. Like some Steve Urkel slash Stefan Urkel spin around pod moment like they they come out and they're all like fucking hot la guys <laughs> which i'm like okay i don't know how that worked but apparently they're all hot la guys now oh, and God. i gotta say uh i am ambivalent about jeff goldblum whatever like yeah. I'm, I'm fine yeah. with like whatever he's cool but when he comes out of this curtain or pot or whatever it is, I don't even really remember what they step out from behind the curtain to reveal their, like, human forms. He is bathed in this, like, hot guy glow that is so insane. And you're like, oh, they're telegraphing to you that he will be the uber stud that's going to sweep Valerie off of her feet. And they, it's kind of like a it's it's similar to his action of emerging is similar to his action of emerging from the fly. Boom. Yep. Exactly. Except he doesn't puke on his hand and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Moments later. <laughs> yes. There's like definitely allusions to the fly. And but I thought that was so funny is that he just comes out and he's just like this 
he's glowing. He's just like glowing and hot. And I know we I know there's a lot of fans of him out there in this world. If you like a shirtless Jeff Goldblum simulating sexual things to show you how hot he is, this is the movie for you. Just saying. If you haven't seen it, watch it toot sweet. But the rest of this movie is basically like all the beats you would expect, okay? The aliens learn how to be human via a barrage of like 80s LA stuff, like classic movie TV references. They're taken to that nightclub. They figure out how to dance fight with someone who kind of looks like Lou Bega. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> like, he looks like he came out of like a Darkwing Duck episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know... That's like the the joke of this film is that it's like, oh, here's some aliens that basically land in like, you know, greater Los Angeles and they're learning how to be Valley Girls. And it's very funny. And Michael McKeon, the actor Michael McKeon, he has a cameo. He plays this like surfer oh kind of pool guy. He accidentally like gets Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans into like these wacky situations where they accidentally rob a, a gas station and then they meet Angeline. Of course, you have to have Angeline and Angeline cameo. And then oh, they crash God. their car into the middle of like the Randy's donut sign. It's very LA uh, referenced, right? And then of course, as you can probably imagine, Val's philandering ex figures out that these guys are aliens and then he wants to like operate on them and become famous for discovering them a la the elephant man. I think we've seen this story before. And then probably, you know, one of the most memorable parts of the film, certainly for the Jeff Goldblum fans, is that Val eventually has sex with him. And the scene is very much that one part of the True Colors video by Cindy Lauper. It's very, yeah. <laughs> like, dreamlike. And then, actually, the sequence right afterwards where, she, where Gina has this dream, and the whole sequence is, like, this kind of cool, like, 50s sci-fi influenced black and white thing and she dreams that you know all of her neighbors are aliens and it's kind of this like speaking of elephant man it's kind of like david lynch meets like they live it's kind of yeah. cool it's and the whole there there are definitely parts of the movie where you get that vibe like the neighbor has kind of a b52 style yes. beehive and like there's lots of nods to that kind of 50 sci-fi like ed yes. wood style of of movie yeah, and I think honestly, like, I mean, we've talked, I think we talked about this in like the episode. I really talked about Tim Burton, but like, like any kind of like 50s and 60s via the 80s kind of like cultural mashup thing was so appealing to me, even mm -hmm. now. But even as a kid, like all of that stuff was like early days of MTV, Nickelodeon, like kind of that Pee Wee's. Playhouse meets Elvira meets, you know, Judy Tenuta, Julie Brown, like all of that stuff kind of formed me in a lot of ways. Completely. And the B-52s are a perfect example of that too. And they're actually on the soundtrack a bunch of times. So you hear like multiple B-52 songs in this movie. They're, you know, speaking of Depeche Mode, like they play Route 66, the Depeche Mode Route 66 song. And it's like just an assault of like kind of set pieces and costumes and sight gags and it's just everything I loved about it as a kid. It's it's just like this big, goofy, unserious movie. It just it still kind of holds water in that way. It's so fun. Perfect summer film. Just 
dumb and fun <laughs> and funny. And Surely. I just I'm glad I got to watch it again. I, I don't know. I was kind of nervous. I don't know why, but now I'm like, hey, Bye. it was actually kind of fine, you know? No, I think it I, no, it's it's definitely I, I know what you mean in terms of going back to films that you even knew were dumb at the time <laughs> when yes. you were a kid and trying to make make sure it still holds up. And I think it, it lives up to the expectation of what it is, which is just funny. And like you said, it's in that that world of what 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 it was for the time, which is just yeah. a lot of very absurdist humor that they took to the edge, they took to the corner of every fucking room they could take it to. Yeah, absolutely. In a weird way, I mean, I hate that. I don't, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's really hard to kind of look back at films that were made like 30, 40, however many years ago, even like 10 years ago, and kind of hold them under the scrutiny of the modern era because it was just a different time. Right. And uh, so I, I think that is kind of what the nervousness came in because knowing it was kind of like a sexy comedy. Anytime you f- feel like you're about to watch like an 80s sexy comedy, you're like, oh, Lord, this is going to be like terrible. This is going to be sexist and racist and awful. <laughs> right. And it's not it's not perfect by any means, but it's also like not I guess maybe I just wasn't I just was pleased that I didn't have to come on here and present a bunch of horrible shit. <laughs> Like, all right, guys, we're gonna watch a movie that's, you know, I don't know, it's Porky's offensive. Four or whatever, <laughs> offensive across the board. <laughs> but even four. still, I mean, it's like that's the thing about movies in general. I feel like is that you know, like it's movies history. You're always looking back, and you know, I don't know. I don't want to go into a big tangent about it, but it is that moment where I was like, oh, I'm relieved it wasn't as, you know, it, it kind of, you know was still funny and enjoyable. And I just have to say, like, I love that world. That whole world of, like, that kind of 80s L.A., that felt very in vogue, too, during that time. Like, Valley Girl, that whole thing. Exactly. I don't know. I just, I loved it. Such a fun movie. Both of these movies were fun. Yeah, this is a really fun week, and I'm glad that you had us watch your film. Again, I hadn't seen it in ages, and I just, it's so good. It's so weird. It's just as weird as I remembered. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. And we got to finally do it, which I know we've been looking for ways to do. Yes. I feel like, you know, I <laughs> need to go listen to Julie Brown's albums again. There was like one, that one part of Kazama Blonde that I used to imitate all the time is when, she, when she's doing her whole like pageant speech and she's like, I'm in a freshman in my fourth year at UCLA and I want to be a veterinarian because I really love children. Like I thought that was so oh, God. fucking funny. Yeah, well, anyway, so um, listen, if any of you would like to email us, we are at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can find us on our social media at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. Also, we have merch. Please go find it at the I saw what you did section of the Exactly Right Shop. And you know, our bonus episodes are the new ones are coming out the third Thursday of every month. And the old bonus episodes, which used to be behind a paywall, are now dropping once a week, it seems. Mm, very exciting. Oh my God. Speaking of exciting, will you tell them what the movies are for next episode? I am trying to remember when I've been this fucking pumped. <laughs> yeah. To prep for a fucking episode. I'm watching them as soon as we stop recording this. That's how excited I am. Love the summer. Because our movies next week are Enter the Dragon from 1973. 
and Bloodsport from 1988. Holy fucking shit! Welcome to summer! I love it. Listen, Danielle, is always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast. I love it! See ya! This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogle. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.